The following message is from the North Shore Christian Centre MP3 Audio Lounge. More information about North Shore Christian Centre is available at www.nscc.org.au. I wanted to start this morning with a fairly fundamental question of life. One of the most fundamental questions of life is, why did God create us? Why did God create us? We're going to read from Revelation chapter 4, verse 11. It says, You are worthy, O Lord our God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, that includes you and I, and they exist because you created what you pleased. God created what would please him. And we, being part of that creation, of course, were created for his good pleasure. Our lives are like a massive mosaic of different elements of different shades and colors brought together to, to create a beautiful canvas, an amazing canvas that reflects God's amazing creativity, the wonder of who he is, how uh, phenomenal and awesome God really is. And so if God created us for his pleasure as God's people, What should our response be? How do we play our part in ensuring that we are pleasuring God? And there's numerous different ways that we could rightly answer this question. We can love him above everything else. We can obey him. We can fulfill his purposes. But there's one that I want to focus on this morning, and that's found in Psalm 147, verse 11. It says this, The Lord is pleased only with those who worship him and trust his love. Those who worship him and trust his love. And so today we'll be exploring what it means to bring pleasure to God by praising God, by worshiping God, by adoring God. If you're taking notes this morning, write that down, adoring God. That's the title of this message. Now, bringing pleasure to God doesn't have to be a difficult thing. Our relationship with God need not be complicated, and our adoration or our attempts to bring pleasure to God need not be complicated either. Our adoration for God doesn't need to be sophisticated, planned out, in time, or even on tune, in tune. We can worship God from our hearts in our everyday living. And I've asked Amanda to come and just minister to us with a song. And she's going to demonstrate that we can worship God from a really basic fundamental level. And yes, she did plan, and yes, she'll be in tune. But she's going to demonstrate that just in the simplicity of singing to God, just how um, worship, worship can evoke from our lives. So I'm going to hand it over to Amanda. Fantastic. Bringing adoration to God doesn't have to be difficult. We don't need to overcomplicate it. In fact, that song isn't even written by a believer. But we can turn something like that into something that reflects God and gives him honor and praise. And we thought, what a simple little example we can give you. You know, not everybody's a person that bursts into song, and that's fine. There's different mediums that you might want to worship God. We're going to explore that a bit later. But Psalms, Psalms are a great place to start. They are loaded with expressions of adoration towards God. And sometimes they're expressed as a directive or as a command. And we find that in Psalms like Psalm 99. It says, exalt the Lord our God, worship at his footstool, holy is he. Other times it's an encouragement. The next verse is, oh come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our maker. Many times we're given specific reasons to express our adoration. It might be because of who he is. 
Psalm 48, great is the Lord and greatly to be praised in the city of our God. Or Psalm 63, because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. And God loves it when we consider and realize how amazing he is and then express it back to him. How sweet it is to be loved by you. When the revelation draws deep into my spirit, into my soul, and I reflect it back upon God, is bringing worship, is bringing adoration to him, is pleasing to his heart. And that's what I want to do. Our expression to him could be through singing, through prayer, communion, dance, poetry, serving, giving, witnessing, loving others. But even in the practical day-to-day things of life, listening to your boss, cooperating with your work colleagues, raising your children, loving your spouse. We can turn all of these things into what becomes worship because worship comes from the heart. It's not a fast, it's not a slow song. It's not a fast song. Worship should not be a once a week in a certain place activity, but rather a lifestyle. When you reflect adoration to God, when you reflect adoration to God, regardless of what you happen to be doing. And Jesus didn't make worship about the right posture, place or time. He used a conversation with a, a female foreign outcast to give us one of the best lessons of worship in the Bible. If you've got Bibles today, how about you to turn to John chapter 4. And we're going to learn a bit about this story. Rather than read the entire passage, I want to set some context for you. Jesus and his disciples had been in the uh, lower Palestinian area known as Judea. And uh, the Pharisees there had, had, uh, had some problems with what Jesus had been saying. And they were challenging Jesus about baptism. And for reasons that we're not entirely sure of, Jesus didn't want to address that particular issue in Judea at the time. So instead of staying in Judea, he decided to go up to Galilee, which is the northern part of Palestine, so that he could minister up there. Now, to get to, Palestine, uh, to, get to uh, Jude, uh, Galilee, there's two ways. The fast way is through an area called Samaria, and I'll get back to that in a moment. The slower way is to cross over the Jordan River, go up along the west bank of the Jordan River, cross back again, and get into Galilee that way. Jesus, however, chose this time to go through Samaria. Now, Samaria, yes, they believed in the one true God, the God of the Bible, but their, their view and their image of God was somewhat skewed. You see, during the exile, some several hundred years pre- previous to Jesus, when the Jewish people were taken away into captivity in Babylon, some people remained, some Jewish people did remain. And those people intermarried with other nations and took on other gods. And so, yes, they believed the God of the Bible, but they also took on other gods from the surrounding nations as well. And so they also only believed in the first five books of the Bible, the, the books written by Moses. And they didn't consider the books written in, uh, of Psalms and Proverbs and, and the minor prophets and so forth as part of God's word to them. And so the Jews and the Samaritans were at conflict in terms of who's right and who's wrong. There was this ongoing feud and it had been going on for centuries, in fact. And so when Jesus comes, decides to go through Samaria... He, uh, he stops in the middle of the day. It was about 12 o'clock and he stops beside a well. It happened to be a well that was dug by uh, Jacob, Jacob's well. And he stops there and the disciples go into the nearby town to buy some lunch. And this woman 
comes out of the town to draw water from the well. Now, it was quite an interesting scenario because Jesus struck up a conversation with this woman and she was taken back. You see, in that time, it was very unconventional for a rabbi like Jesus to talk to a woman. It was very unconventional for a rabbi to talk to a woman. Some took it to such extremes, they were called the the blind and bruised rabbis. Because if they saw a woman, they would literally close their eyes so as not to have anything to do with them. They were, some were so extreme that they wouldn't talk to their own mother, their own wife, their own daughter, their own sister. We think that's absurd. That was just the culture that they were in. And so for Jesus to talk to this woman from, Samar- from uh, the Samaritan woman was quite an unusual thing. Added to the fact, as I've already mentioned, that she was a Samaritan. And the Samaritans didn't get along with Jews. And Jesus was obviously not one to hold a grudge. He was willing to engage in this conversation. And the conversation goes about from water from the well to talking about living water. And so Jesus is talking, as we know now, about the Holy Spirit and how the Holy Spirit will refresh us so we never need to drink of water again. And this woman is intrigued and and inspired. And she says to Jesus, she says, well, where do I get this living water from? And that's where we're going to pick up the story in John chapter 4. Verse 16, the woman has just asked for this living water. And Jesus said to her, go, call your husband and he and come here. The woman answered him and said, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, you have well said, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands and the one whom you now have is not your husband. In that you spoke truly. Now, this is a bit of an awkward moment for this woman. Jesus has um, he, just pressed a button. He's just pointed out maybe a deficiency in her life, or certainly she wasn't looked upon uh, nicely amongst the community. Why is this woman going out in the middle of the day to go draw water from a well that's like half a mile outside of the town? And so Jesus has really pressed her button. And so what does she do? Well, she realizes that Jesus is a rabbi. He's a, he's a religious man. So let's just change the topic by introducing a religious controversy. Surely that will um, take the pressure off me and, and he can do all the talking. So this is what she says in verse 19. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, and you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. And we don't know, maybe Jesus had pressed her button such that she would bring the conversation around to worship. But Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. Now Jesus has made two really important points here. Firstly, He's saying that he's making the point that wherever you try to worship God, on the mountain or in Jerusalem or anywhere else, it actually doesn't matter. Regardless of where you are, it's still possible to worship him in vain. There is no right place to worship God. Anywhere you find yourself is the right place to worship God. In fact, everywhere is the right place to worship God. And you know, we've been singing Amazing Grace this morning and and other songs. But you know, it's possible that you could sing these songs and and still not engage your heart. It can still be done in vain. I remember being in a conference many years ago and Darlene Czech was leading worship and she's a world-famous worship leader. She's an Aussie, if you don't know, who 
She now, with her husband, leads a church on the central coast. And in the middle of, of, of the congregation lifting together and, and singing songs, she stopped. And she said, refuse. Refuse to simply sing songs. And it hit me. Hit me like a train. I'm like, yeah, I'm not here to sing karaoke. I'm not here to sing along with songs with a, with a great melody and awesome musicians. I'm actually here to engage my heart with a living God. And I want to give that encouragement to you this morning. We've, we've already sung plenty of songs and we'll sing again at the end. But worship isn't, as I said, a slow song. It's about our lifestyle. Let's never allow our lifestyle to just be one where we just go through the motions. First thing is that Jesus points out, it doesn't matter where you worship. It's not about where, it's the posture or the time. None of that matters. The second point is this. Jesus points out how important it is to know the one whom you worship. Knowing the God who you worship. You see, the Samaritans had a limited and skewed record of God in their Old Testament. And Jesus points out that the Samaritan worship is deficient. Because one day they might be worshipping the one true God of the Bible, but then again they might be worshipping a foreign God as well. And Jesus, these might be harsh words, but Jesus calls it as it is. He goes on in verse 23 to say this, But the hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. And here's where I believe Jesus says are the two key words for us today, spirit and truth. And you may have heard messages in the past about worshiping in spirit and truth. And I hope today I can draw, just draw out a new revelation for you that you can apply into your life. What does that mean? How do we link spirit and truth? What does that mean in worship? Well, when we think about spirit, in this, in this particular statement, the spirit is our spirit with a small s. And I believe that our spirits are renewed when we come into a new relationship with Jesus Christ. Our spirits become alive to the newness of who God is. We are able to perceive and understand and recognize in a new spiritual dimension who God is, how amazing He is, what He has done, what He is going to do. And out of that revelation, we have these feelings. We have these affections for God. How sweet it is to be loved by you. How sweet it is to be loved by you, Lord. As I reflect upon God's amazing love for me, I can't but help but feel joy. I can't help but feel peace. I can't help but feel secure. And my right response to that is to reflect that affection back on God, to bring pleasure to God by worshipping Him. Worship needs to include our hearts and our heads. It must engage both emotion and thought. You see, the, the thing is, is that worship in truth without emotion produces dead traditionalism. It produces routine. It produces dry, dull and things done out of duty. But worship with emotion but no truth, or lacking in truth, or false truth, produces an empty frenzy. It produces hype. It cultivates shallow people. Worship needs to be authentically from the heart, yet balanced with a true perception of God. There must be spirit 
and there must be truth. And we adore God best when we engage both our heart and our heads. And so let's explore engaging our hearts. I don't know about you, but I don't want my worship to be pointless or empty because that's what it would be if my heart is not engaged. And and Jesus challenged the Pharisees when he quoted Isaiah to them in Matthew 15. He said, These people draw near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You see, anybody can fake worship. I can close my eyes tight. I can lift my hands. I can get on my knees and I can sing with great gusto and have the posture of worship and adoring God. But, but think about the rugby last night or think about what's for lunch or think about that offense I had or think about how much I'm looking forward to a holiday. And our worship is empty and a pointless exercise if on the outside we look like we're doing the right thing. But it's, it's not from the heart. There's no emotion attached to it. We haven't been filled with this response to God that He so rightly deserves. Where feelings for God are dead, worship is dead. That's a quote from John Piper, who's a pastor in the US. Let me read it again. Where feelings for God are dead, worship is dead. I want to encourage you to be spontaneous with God and never allow adoration for Him to be dutiful. Let me give another example. Uh, In 12 days' time, Amanda and I, we celebrate our second anniversary. 29th of August, why thank you, 29th of August 2012, we got married and we celebrate our anniversary in just under two weeks' time. And imagine on our anniversary, I come to Amanda with a big bunch of red roses, a big, big bunch of red roses, and I give them to her and she's absolutely delighted and thrilled and over the moon and she says, Ross, thank you so much for these roses. And I go, Amanda, no problem, it's my duty to give you these roses. Yeah, that's right. Ouch. That is not going to go down well. Why? My heart wasn't in that. I'm doing it out of duty. And in the same way, we should never come before God and go, I have to lift my hands because that's my duty. I have to worship God. I have to sing. I have to pray. I have to read the word. I have to be nice to other people because that's my duty. I hope hope you do it. That, That was a message from last week. So... Listen to that one. Unless we allow an emotion to drive our affections of worship for God, then we're just going through the motions. And going through the motions, well, that's hypocrisy. That's outwardly doing what looks right so everybody else can see that I'm a good Christian and worshiping God like I'm supposed to. But inside, if the heart is not engaged, you're not fooling God. And let's give God our best. Let's really please Him. Let's really adore God with what He is asking of us, with what He requires of us. If your adoration for God has become dry and empty, I want to encourage you to allow your emotions to bubble over. Look for reasons reasons for your affections to come alive. Hey, I'm an analytical person. Give me numbers any day. But you know what? I actually do want to please God. And so I search out what is it 
Maybe it's the lyrics in a song or maybe it's the words in the, on the Bible. But what is it about this that will cause me to go, yeah, God is amazing and he is worthy of all glory that I can give him. We can remember your first, you can remember your first love of God or you can, be, you can remember what you've been saved from, remember what you've been saved into. Dwell on the fact that the maker of the heavens and the earth loves you. How sweet it is to be loved by him. Think about his blessings. Consider how brilliant our creator must be to design such an amazing creation. Look around. Phenomenal. To give roses to a man and say, it's my duty, is actually a dishonor to her. But if I say, it's my joy, it's my pleasure, I honor her. Heartfelt response has so much more meaning, has so much more effect. Our hearts in, our, we engage our hearts in worship by seeking the emotions that will cause us to honor him more. You know what? Emotions aren't bad. It's okay to seek those emotions. So that's engaging the heart. How about engaging the head? God seeks people who will worship him in spirit and in truth. And adoring God through praise and worship can simply be a misdirected pastime if our minds do not know the one who we are worshiping. It is completely possible for an emotion to rise because we believe a false facet of God and to then adore God motivated from this false knowledge. Let me give you an example. If I have a belief about God that it says something like, God is amazing, God loves me, true. God will let me do whatever I want. God wants me to be free. And so in my freedom, God wants me to do whatever I want. And so God, because you want me to do whatever I want, I'm going to worship you. You're so good. It's so great that you let me do anything and everything I want, whether it's hurting other people, whether it's being selfish, whether it's thinking of myself all the time. That's what God wants. That's, God's up in heaven going, um, is he talking to me? Because that's, yeah, that, that one's not written here. That's not God's part of God's revelation to us. They're talking to somebody else. And so from God's perspective, when we try and worship from a false or a misdirected truth, God's going, That's, who are they talking to? Because they're not talking to me. It's a pointless exercise. For us to make legitimate expressions of adoration to God, we've got to know him. How do we know him? Through the word of God. Through the word of God. The deeper we know God, the deeper our worship of him becomes and the more it gives him glory. Suppose I went up to somebody, a complete and utter stranger, I've never met them before in my entire life, and I say, I think you're a fantastic person. It's a pretty odd thing to do. And they would probably be thinking to themselves, okay, and on what grounds are you thinking that I'm a fantastic person? Like, in their minds, it's like, you don't even know me. I, whether they think they're great or not is beside the point. They have no ground for me to believe that about them. But if I go to somebody who I've met maybe once before, and we had a bit of a conversation, so I know them a little bit, and I go to them the second time I see them and say, I think you're a fantastic person. Well, then they will be thinking, well, oh, that conversation we had last time must be good. They've, they've obviously appreciated some qualities that we, of mine that they can see as we've talked and understood. 
But if I go to the person who I know best in this room, my wife, and say, Amanda, you're fantastic. You're amazing. You know what? She can believe that with great depth because she knows that I know. Do you understand what I'm saying this morning? That if God knows that we know what about him is true, our reflections of affirmation to him are all the more deep. Think about this. God can only accept our accolades of adoration when they are true. God can only accept our accolades of adoration when they are true. Not if they are based on what we think or hope might be true. That's why the word of God is so important. Strong affections for God rooted in and shaped by the truth of the Bible are the true foundation of worship. And I'm going to ask the team to come back up and join me this morning. And maybe this is a new way of thinking about pleasing God. Maybe, maybe it's not. I just want to say that worship doesn't have to be restricted to Sunday mornings. But we're going to use this, since we're here anyhow, we're going to use this as the platform to adore God. So I want to encourage us all just to stand. I'm going to lead us in a prayer. I'm going to ask the team to lead us in a song. I want to encourage you, search out those emotions in God. You might find them in the lyrics in the song. You might already have something in your mind about that, it, that just causes you to well up with an affection for God. I want you to let that spontaneously bubble over. And then I want you to realize what is true about God. And in the combination of the head and heart, the spirit, in spirit and in truth, we can worship God in a, in a new way. And you know what? We're, it, it might mean lifting your hands. It, it might mean singing. It might not. I, I want you to hear me carefully here. I'm not saying sing. And if you don't sing, then it's, you're not doing what, I've, what I'm trying to demonstrate. I'm saying engage your heart. Engage your mind. These guys here, they, they might be the only ones that perform an outward act. And that's fine as long as our inward, the inward man, our hearts are engaged in what we're doing. Does that make sense this morning? Okay, let me pray and then we'll sing. Father, we thank you so much. We thank you so much, Lord, that you created us. And Lord, what a miracle it is just to to know you, to love you, to be known by you. And so, Father... We want to bring pleasure to your name. We want to adore you. Lord, in this moment of this song and worship, in worship in song, Lord, I pray that you would help us to worship you in spirit and in truth, where we engage our hearts and we engage our heads. Lord God, we don't want to be fake. We don't want this to be a pointless exercise, Lord God. We actually want to honor you in all that we do. In Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to this message from the North Shore Christian Centre Audio Lounge. We invite you to visit us online at www.nscc.org.au. Through our website, you can keep up to date with what's happening in the life of our church in Chatswood, New South Wales, as well as accessing other free resource materials. 